You're listening to The Sigrun Show, episode number 333. In this episode, I talk to Tarzan Kay about all the fears surrounding email and how to get past them. Welcome to The Sigrun Show. I'm your host, Sigrun, creator of Samba, the MBA program for online entrepreneurs. With each episode, I'll share with you inspiring case studies and interviews to help you achieve your dreams and turn your passion into profits. Thank you for spending time with me today. Building an online business takes time. I share with you proven strategies to help you get there faster. You'll also learn how to master your mindset, up-level your marketing, and succeed with masterminds. On today's episode, I speak with Tarzan Kay, a former copywriter and now a launch strategist who teaches entrepreneurs how to write copy that converts. She also helps freelancers and service providers package up their knowledge and turn it into programs that sell. Tarsan is best known for her advice on how to launch to a small list. And of course, she shares her strategies with us on this episode. Before we dive in, I want to share a review from Apple Podcasts from Tanya Silverstein from the USA. Sigrun is so empowering. I love listening to her stories. She provides great tips and trends for online business entrepreneurs. This is a great listen regardless of what level of business you are in. Thank you so much, Tanya. I would also appreciate if you, dear listener, left a review so that more people can find The Sigrun Show. Go to sigrun.com forward slash 333 to find links to Tarzan K and the show notes of this episode. There you'll also find Plan Your Profit Success Guide for free. I'm so excited to have Tarzan Kay with me on the show today. She was introduced to me by a common friend, Sarah, who wrote copy for me for my first Samba launch. And Tarzan and I have also done some work together. And she is on the show to talk about email. Welcome on the show, Tarzan. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Sigrun. So you are not writing emails for others anymore, but that was your speciality, wasn't it? Yeah. So right now, it's like all most of this year has been like reputation management. I would say not reputation management, but like I'm managing how people see me because I'm making the transition from writing for others to writing exclusively for my own business and teaching others how to write really great emails. And that's an interesting transition before we dive into the actual topic of the episode. How are you finding it? Are you still kind of, uh, that people see you as the the old version of yourself and you're becoming that new version? Something that I've learned, like there's a, some really important lessons that have come out of this. So I have always marketed myself as Tarzan, as like a micro celebrity. And I do teach this too, that like to have a strong personal brand, like when people come to me, they want to work with Tarzan. Like they just want what Tarzan is selling. So maybe I, I don't usually refer to myself in the third person. <laughs> At the beginning part of this year, I, I did my last couple of clients where I was really just writing for them. But what I found is that I would get on calls with people and they would be like, yeah, like, can you write these emails? And I just have to sort of manage that conversation and say like, well, you know what? Actually, what would be great is if I could show you how to write really great emails and like structure a campaign and then you're like, you have that power on your own. So 
my sales conversations have really shifted because it ends up like they come to me for something else. I'm like, well, here's what you really need. So you should buy this. But because they're coming to me because they want some Tarzan, they kind of don't care. And so I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm grateful to my former self for doing the hard work of building my reputation and a strong personal brand so that it doesn't really matter. Like when people come to Seagrin, like, they are a part of your community. They really want to learn from you. So as a service provider or a course creator, whichever, like that is the ultimate position to be in. Yeah. And that's so true because a lot of people that are a service provider believe that they don't have to build a list or don't have to build a strong brand because they just have the projects flying in the door through word of mouth. But that's not really the case. Well, the thing is, is then they get stuck because there's only so much they can charge. And they're always going to be compared to like what some other copywriter or designer is charging. Whereas like when you really build your own brand and you develop that relationship with your audience, like they don't care what your rate is because they want to work with you. Well, they do care, but they will save for it and they will pay you 10 times as much as the other person because they really want to work with you. But if you're not doing that work of like communicating with your audience and being visible in front of them on podcasts or Facebook Live or whatever your channel is, there's always going to be a ceiling on how much you can charge. And if you want to make more money, it's going to involve making more hours, working more hours, which is is not going to be a great life that you will burn out. Yeah, very true. So before we still dive into the actual podcast episode topic. Have you been doing this? You know, where did this come from? Were you always someone who was interested in emails and writing emails and making sure that others write good emails? No, I discovered it as my superpower pretty early in my business though. So I had, I was like fresh out of B school and I I was working as a copywriter and I was looking for my niche. I kind of knew that I had to do something more specific. So initially I was just writing websites for personal brands, people in personal development, like that felt pretty niched. And then that summer there was this email copywriting competition and it was hosted by some influential industry people. And uh, I was like, "Hmm, I'm going to try this. This looks fun. It was a three day competition. And the first day, I don't know, I did okay. And then the second day, I won the second day. There was like, there were three challenges. And so on the second day, I was like, okay, I really have a shot at this. This could be really important. The prizes were like, you won a spot in a course, you got a ticket to an event and some cash for travel. So the prizes were great. But what I recognized where the real opportunity was, was for these influencers to see me as like the top person. So I just went full out, like for those two days of trying to win first day I wasn't really trying to win those two days. Like I didn't do anything. I was like, just pretending I had no client work. All I did was like write good email and hustle votes. Cause it was a, it was like a user supported competition. So I won the whole thing. And so some other people started to see me as an expert in email. And I was like, okay, well, this is something that I really enjoy. And I think I have a unique talent for it. So from there, I started really diving into the strategy and taking more programs and like, because actually doing well with email is so much more than just writing great email. Like that's only one part of it. And in my programs, when I teach about email, like, yeah, we talk about copywriting a little bit, but mostly it's like the overarching strategy of your email, like when to send the emails and how to send the emails and like 
the formatting of the emails and like your segmentation. Like there's just so much to email. And uh, I really love that. Like I like great writing, but I also like to geek out on sales funnels and like automations and all that sort of stuff. Great. This is a perfect segue into the topic. What is it about email that is so scary to some people, actually a lot of people? And then on the other hand, uh, there are a few that master it and get high open rates and really build their business with email. Well, if you think about your inbox, like we used to think about our mailboxes, like, I don't know, I guess mail is different around the world, but I live in Canada and for me, like, I don't get junk mail. It's as simple as like, I just go into the post office and say, I don't want any junk mail. I don't already, what, you know, advertising, unaddressed mail, whatever it's called. But if you think about that, like you go to your mail and you're like, Ugh, annoying, annoying, annoying. Oh, here's something that's like actually sent to me. We think of our inboxes sort of in the same way. So nobody wants to be that junk mail person that's like, oh, this person again, like, oh, this person again. I see it as a huge opportunity because again, comparing it to the mailbox, like most of the stuff in there is literally garbage. And it's such an opportunity to be like the bright spot in someone's inbox. And in fact, this actually does apply to the mailbox. Like I do direct mail campaigns with my clients. It's like the golden thing. Nobody knows about this, that this is even possible. You can like direct mail people awesome things and be the most exciting thing they ever got in the mail for like the last three years. But bringing it back to the inbox, like most of what's in there, like it is very like marketing, like, you know, there's like a banner at the top and you can tell that it's a marketing email. And even a lot of emails in this industry of like online marketing and digital courses, like a lot of it is like not that exciting. So it's also very much like your first six figure year, like go you. It's like stuff we've heard before. So I know like what my subscribers most love is just me showing up and being honest and being like the real housewife of the internet, right? I guess I'm not the housewife. I'm the provider for my family, but you see what I'm saying, right? Like people really value openness and vulnerability and realness. And I don't see too much of that going on. So this is a really common fear. Like people's inboxes are so crowded, but just think about like, what is your inbox really crowded with? And what would you really love to receive? Like I teach a lot of small list strategies because there's all these cool things you can do when you don't have hundreds or thousands of people on your email list. You can do like personalized reach out and like you can do so many, you could like send personalized videos and like do all this cool stuff. Like that's so fun. That would be so exciting for your subscribers to receive. Once you have a couple of those wins, you will see your brain start to shift a little bit and be like, oh, okay, like I get it now. There's always gonna be people that get your emails and they don't like them or they unsubscribe, that's fine. You actually want people to be inspired to take action, whether it's to do the thing you're asking them to do or to go away. And um, that's great, your email did the job. So we do have to also be comfortable. It's like financially, we have to be comfortable with money coming in, money going out. It's the same thing with subscribers. Subscribers come in, subscribers go out. That's just part of being in business. Mm. So you talked about small list. And I think that we will have a lot of listeners with smaller lists. You said the trick is to actually take advantage of it. Like with small numbers, you can do things that you can't do when you have tens and thousands or hundreds of thousands of subscribers. So 
video? What are you saying beyond that? Let's think about this in the context of a launch. Let's say in a launch, you have 100 people that signed up to your webinar. Feels like a pretty small number, right? On the other hand, if 20 people showed up, you can make a personalized video for all 20 of those people and say like, hey, Seagrin, I'm so excited that you joined my webinar. Thank you so much for coming. It makes it a better experience for everyone when there's lots of people in the room. If you have any questions about my program, just hit reply. I just want you to know I'm here for you, blah, blah, blah. Like that takes one minute. Actually, it can be the same video for everyone, but it works better if you personalize it. You can be in front of them and say like, hey, I'm a real person. You can trust me. Well, then there's 80 other people that didn't come. So you could start like reaching out to some of them. You can comb through the list and see like, maybe you know some of those people. Maybe you can like send a personalized message to them and say like, hey, like to your hottest people, like, hey, here's a, you know, I noticed you signed up to the webinar, didn't come. Like, here's the replay link just so you know, it'll be up till Friday. Like, You can personalize on a much deeper level when you have a small list and really like that's the hardest thing to do with a big list is like develop that trust and and show people that you are going to be there for them when they feel like they're just one more piece of hay in a giant haystack, right? I've noticed that's worked really well for my business. And for most people, if your list is like a thousand or less, that's actually going to work better for you than doing all of these super scalable strategies that we learn, which is important to do those as well, like sending the promo emails and the webinar show up emails and all those things. But like the reason why people with a small list can get crazy conversion rates of like 10 or 25%, uh, you could never do that with a big list because it's just, you can't talk to people on the same level. Yeah, very true. So I've used the app Bonjoro for those videos. So that's just on your phone and you can have people tagged in your email software. And once you have sent them a a video, they're untagged. Of course, I'm trying to do something like this on a scale. So you, you have to have the tagging and stuff in place. But of course, if you have 20 people, you can just tick them off an Excel sheet. Yeah. And actually, I'm so glad you brought that up because there are scalable ways to do these things. It requires like a little bit more savvy with your automations and tools, but um, it works on every level at every stage. Absolutely. So email open rates, the feeling is that they're going down, that people are less excited about email. They're moving over to messenger. But I I know that email works. When you are in a launch, you see that people who are on an email list are more likely to buy and they're opening up if they're interested. But what do you say? How how do people increase the open rates on a general scale? Not necessarily in a launch, but just average. Is it just the cool headline? Yeah, subject lines are really important for sure. And if you're not good at them, that's okay. You just have to keep writing and you will get better at them. That's like the biggest thing I want people to know about emails. Like if you feel like your emails aren't great, your subject lines aren't super captivating, that's fine because that's where we all started. So there are some great tools. CoSchedule has a subject line, email subject line tool that you can test subject lines. And uh, it's pretty helpful. Some things like adding a a question mark on top of almost any subject line is a curiosity booster. It will help people uh, open more of your emails. Like there are some little hacks for getting more opens, but the main thing, like the most important thing, which is not a hack at all, 
is just to show up consistently, be real and authentic, like reply to your subscribers whenever possible. That's something you can do when you're small that you can't do when you're highly scaled. It's about developing those relationships. That is what is going to make the biggest difference in your open rate. There are some other things like you do have to scrub your list regularly and make sure you're not mailing people who aren't even seeing your emails because they're going straight to junk. That's really important to keep your open rates up. But what's most important is just cultivating that relationship. There's no way to get around that. And it works great with all these other tools, like whatever you're doing on social media or these other channels. The thing about email is it's a really good container for your promotion. So if you think about when you see someone on social media who is promoting a program, it's hard to tell where they're at in the program. Like, did it just open? Is there like a new bonus? When is it closing? Like, or is this just like, are they in the pre-launch? Like, it's hard to know if you just see a couple of Facebook posts. And also like if your Facebook posts are mostly organic, you don't know which ones your people are gonna see. On the other hand, in your email, like they are always like in the container of the launch. So they know like, okay, at this phase, like they see you're, you're like saying masterclass, 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 go to this free masterclass. And then like, it's open, it's open, it's open. They get that message like consistently in the same place. And then toward the end, oh, okay, it's closing soon, closing soon, closing soon. Like that, the storyline, like email is the best place to hold that storyline and bring them through the launch. Social media is great for that too. Like, I mean, all these things will just strengthen what you're already doing with email and your promotions, but email is definitely the best place to create the container. Yeah, I just noticed that uh, there's a renewal coming up on a program I'm in. And I saw some posts on, on Facebook and I wasn't sure, like just what you said, I wasn't sure, is it over? When is the deadline? And then I go into my Gmail and search for that, you know, course creator. And I'm like, okay, here I have my information. So I use it almost like a search engine sometimes. Ah, that's brilliant. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people are doing that. I know I've done that before too, because I have all my subscriptions. They go like there's Gmail rules. So they go into a folder. And if I hear someone that's like, oh, like I just bought a ticket to so-and-so's event. Well, perfect. I know I can just like go into Gmail and find the email about that event and get all the information. So that's brilliant. Unless they clean you up. So that was the other thing that you suggested. We regularly clean up. If you haven't opened an email for six months, we delete. You just delete. Well, we unsubscribe first for a couple of weeks and then we delete unless you have bought a product from us because then we are legally obliged to keep all the information. Yeah. So it is really important to have a strategy around that. Like people come to me a lot and they're like, oh, my open rates used to be like such and such so high. And now they're way down here. And I'm like, the answer is so obvious. You have to scrub your list, <laughs> like try and re-engage them. But most of those people are probably, probably just gone. So I think that's a good strategy at six months. Like they're not going to re-engage. They can just be gone. And if you have a tool like Infusionsoft, we we actually only send emails to those who are known for opening. We can segment them in a way that we are not trying to. And that's how we can also get our open rates up before we maybe email those that are less engaging. Mm, brilliant. Brilliant. Infusionsoft does have some really incredible features that yeah, other service email service providers just don't have. So for those who are like willing to tough it out and learn, 
But, you know, a lot of people are leaving at the same time because they have their own issues in another field. Yeah, well, what I have noticed with like, there are so many tools on the market that they just like do everything and they're very shiny. And of course, we want to do all those things. And at your stage of business, Seagrin, you have the bandwidth and the support and the know-how to use all those tools, all these different features at your disposable disposal, pardon me. But for the average business owner who's like getting up and running, they need tools that are simple. If you're listening to this and like you don't have Infusionsoft, that's totally okay. Just like work with the tool you have. When you have outgrown that tool and you need something else, you'll know. I started with MailChimp. I think most people start with MailChimp or ConvertKit, ActiveCampaign. These are the typical tools. But coming back to uh, metrics of open rates, we haven't really talked about the actual numbers. We were saying like low open rate, high open rate. What would you consider a good open rate? Okay, so when it comes to metrics, like what I always want people to know is the person to compare yourself to is yourself. Because any sort of metrics, like anytime you hear about baseline metrics for launches or just for email, like oftentimes those metrics that we hear about are for highly scaled businesses. If you have a couple hundred people on your email list, like you're not going to be happy with a 1% conversion rate. You can do much better when your numbers are low. So it like the same thing applies with email. Like if you have a few hundred or a few thousand people on your email list, well, you might be able to have a consistent open rate of like 35 to 50%. Like that would be amazing. But as you grow, the numbers are going to go down. Like that's completely normal. But what's really important with your metrics is just to watch them and see how they're changing. Like if you have a few thousand people on your email list and your email open rate is like, it's usually about 30%. Well, that's great. You're doing really well. And if you haven't really changed much, but suddenly it plummeted to like 19 or 20, well, you know, like there's some issue here that needs to be solved. So maybe you need to scrub your list. Maybe there's like some deliverability problem that you don't know about. There's all sorts of reasons your open rate could go down. But the lesson here is like, just compare yourself to yourself. And this applies to so many other areas of business. Like I often see with my students, like, they're watching these like seven or even eight figure business owners and they're trying to do the same thing. And I'm like, hang on. These people have been in business for 10 plus years. They have a large support team. Like you have a different business. So let's just focus on what you're doing and you can just do it your way. You don't have to do everything that you learned from said eight figure business owner. That's like a roundabout way of answering like, if you have a few hundred to a few thousand, like my open rate is consistently about 32 to 35%. My list is growing a lot. So I'm really trying to keep that number up, but I know it's going to go down. If it goes below 25%, I know that I probably, I have a problem. But the thing is, is like, I know that what I'm doing works. So if I just keep doing what I'm doing, like sending great emails, writing great subject lines, they're going to keep getting better. My open rate is probably going to hold. And if it doesn't, they're 
potentially are some external reasons for it. Like for example, maybe I need to do a list scrub as we talked about, but maybe like I'm running ads to people who are not my target market. So I'm bulking my list up with all these people that don't want to hear from me. Like there are different reasons your open rate can go up and down. The most important thing is just like to consistently show up and consistently write good email, which you will learn how to do just by doing it. I would say if uh, open rate goes down below 20% on my list, then I'm, I'm worried. I will look at uh, deliverability or was just a horrible subject line? Like, was it so uninteresting? Yeah, I think we're more around 23. I think I'm happy if I had 25. So our list is bigger. And when you're in a launch, you also tend to attract maybe sometimes a bigger audience that is just not not that into you, like the book, like he's not that into you. Yes. <laughs> They're not that into you yet. It's figuring that out and being happy with the numbers. So I'm glad you said that it's going to be different for everyone. It's knowing when you should be concerned or not. Yes. And one more thing at the end of a launch, your open rates are going to be lower. That's just how it goes. Like if you think about a launch, like it's a lot of emails, it might be like 20 or even 30 emails over the course of like, two to three weeks, you know, depending on what you're doing with your promotion, that's a lot of emails to send people. So your open rate's going to go down and that's normal. So I wouldn't like watch your open rate during a launch. That is important, but you, you can't compare it to your newsletter emails that you send each week. You have to look at your open rates in context as well. So there's fear around unsubscribes. There's fear around, you know, how many emails to send and when I tell my clients to send out daily emails in a launch, they're like, yeah, you know, they were planning to send out three in a whole week. And I'm like, no, 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 send out more. So can you speak to that? Why do we need to send out so many emails? So I asked my coach one time, I was working on a launch and I, I said to him, I was like, well, how many webinar invites should I send? Because I didn't used to, I've always been pretty aggressive with promo emails, but I was less aggressive at the beginning of a launch. So I said, how many webinar invites do I really need to send? And he's like, well, how much money do you want to make? And I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. So I noticed this like during a launch, and we'll talk about unsubscribes outside of launch too, but during a launch, your unsubscribes are going to be higher because you're sending more email. But I promise you, when you are watching these sales coming in and you finish your launch with like 10 or 20 new students, you're not going to feel sad that 20 or 30 people left. On the other hand, if you really hold back and you don't send email, well, you don't lose as many subscribers. You make half as many sales. That's way sadder. So you actually do want the people on your email list to make a choice. Are they staying with you or are they going? You have succeeded when they have made that decision, even if it means they unsubscribe. It doesn't mean they're never going to come back because they will. We all know, like I've subscribed and unsubscribed and resubscribed. Like I do it all the time. It doesn't mean I'm gone forever. Maybe I just like don't want to see this promotion. And maybe you didn't give me an easy way to say no thank you to this promotion. But this fear of unsubscribes, like whether you know that you have it or not, it's like creeping under the surface. Like watch out, people might unsubscribe. Like watch out, don't send another email. It's lurking in the background. 
like I even feel it sometimes. Like I know in certain promotions, like I could send even more emails and make even more money. And I send a lot of emails. So we do really have to like reconcile ourselves to the fact that people are going to leave. And that's part of being in business. Other people are going to come back. You inspired them to make a decision. So just like celebrate that number because on the other side of it are all these people that are buying your stuff. In the context of newsletters, like that's usually where the biggest problem is. Like people just don't send regular emails because they don't want to annoy people. And we have to take a hard look at our, like that is a self-worth issue ultimately. That's like, and that's whole, like that is the most important work of our business is like going into like, what is my value in the world? What do I believe my work is worth? What do I really have to give? Like when you really own that, you're not going to feel bad about sending weekly emails. And when people unsubscribe, you're going to be like, no problem. She didn't like what I was into and I'm okay with that. So that is why it is so important. Like as business owners, like we need to do that self-development, that personal growth work. What I have noticed is in my own business is like my business can't grow beyond me. I have to keep growing so that my business can keep growing. And when I feel limited, like, mm, like I'm struggling to like hit that seven figure mark. Well, I know like it's because there's personal stuff that needs to be worked out. It's the same thing with email. Yeah. It's about also really finding your, I don't know, rhythm or groove. I remember in the beginning, and I think a lot of people do this, you see emails and you start to think, oh, I need to write emails like that. So you start to write emails and it was just not working for me. And then you stop. And then I do like telling stories. And I do think we are hardwired to listen to stories and tell stories, whether we think we're a natural storyteller or not. But I started to just write some stories in my emails and poof, the open rate went up, people replied, and I was having fun. So I was actually almost looking forward to writing the next email. And beforehand, I was avoiding it, looking at it as like a painful extra task in a business versus actually enjoying being in communication with my subscribers. Yeah, I'm learning the same lesson with social media right now because I have the same resistance toward posting updates and things like that. And I completely agree, like you have to find your own rhythm and you have to figure out how to make it fun because if you don't enjoy it, it's going to be a real struggle to make it consistent. And I agree, like stories are what my audience most appreciates. It's what is most enjoyable to write. Like, and, and we are all storytellers, as you say, we're hardwired for stories. So the thing is, is like getting to that place, it requires you to push past the discomfort because you, the only way you're going to figure out and find your rhythm is by doing it. So that's going to require you to show up a couple times that might be uncomfortable. What you will notice as you work with email is like once that relationship with your subscribers starts to blossom and people start to hit reply and say like, oh, thank you for saying that, Seagrin. Like that meant so much to me. That really changed my day. Like when you start to get those emails, like, oh, that's when you really start to see the power of the platform. Then you'll be crazy about it and like, wondering why you aren't sending an email every single day. Yeah. <laughs> but you would typically send a weekly email, right? On a newsletter. 
Yeah, I would recommend as a as a minimum sending a weekly email. I think that's a good goal when you're starting out. Every other week, that is the absolute bare minimum. Once per month is not enough. Not only for your subscribers, but also for you to be consistent. Like you won't feel like you're in the habit if you're writing a monthly email. I guess I say bi-weekly. I'm not sure if bi-weekly actually means twice a week or twice I know. a month. We have this uh <laughs> Constant confusion, yeah. Yes, yeah. So let's say every other week. So initially, like one of the first and most important commitments I ever made to my business was to send an email every other week. And I got like, that was often enough that it created the habit. And now I'm like trying to make room in my schedule to send all the emails I want. So every other week is good. Every week is better. The most important is that you are creating the habit. Okay, so we talked about subject lines. Obviously, there is the co-schedule analyzer and the more email you send, you more realize, oh, okay, they need to be catchy. People need to be curious and interested to open it up. Don't give it away, the answer and the headline and stuff like that. But once you got them into the email, are you sending them something to click on in every single email or not? Oh, great question. This is really important because this is another thing people don't even realize is holding them back. They will say like, well, I'm not going to send a newsletter this week because I didn't create any new content. There's nothing to click on. Think about it in terms of like, I am creating the habit. I am going to email my list whether I have something for them to click on or not. Of course, in the ideal scenario, there's a call to action. If you're a service provider, you have a built-in call to action at all times, which is like, If you'd like to work with me, here's the link to book a call. That is like, can be a minimum. But I still, even at this stage of business, I occasionally email my list with no link. And often those are the emails that get the most replies and the most engagement because it's usually something that I just felt really inspired to share and I just sent it to them. And they love that. They're all, it's also like, I'm not trying to get anything from them. I'm just like, here is something I think you would find interesting and helpful. Those emails always crush. So yes, it's great if you're publishing content and you have something to send them to. You do not have to. Don't let that hold you back from sending that email. I made the same experience. I've sent several, like just looking back at the last five and a half years, there've been several emails that I just wrote because I was so inspired, no link and nothing. That's uh, had the most replies to that email. So I would actually say this should potentially be a strategy, uh, you know, from time to time to people have the feeling that you're not trying to just sell them something or, or get them to click on something. Yeah. And actually, now that I think about it, Marie Forleo has this MF Insider. I don't know if she still does this because I'm not on her email list, but she used to do these MF Insider emails and you would only get them if you were on her email list. They were random. They weren't on any sort of schedule and they would come like usually her emails come on a Tuesday. Maybe you'd get it on a Friday and it would be like something personal about like what she's working on and what she's doing They were always the best emails. I love those. So yeah, it is a strategy. I'm sure other people are using it too. Perfect. Love it. So coming back to the fears, I think the most fears are around launching. And uh, obviously we need to invite people in the webinar, <laughs> not hold back on the invitations. How many sales do you want? But there is a flow of what you do through a launch. Can you talk us through that just roughly? 
what type of emails people are sending out in a launch? In the pre-launch phase, we're of course focusing on getting them to take that free class or whatever the thing is. In the pre-launch phase, I often focus on my own story. And sometimes I share like a few client stories. The stories can go everywhere. But in the pre-launch phase, like you are really focused on getting them to that class that you're teaching. And if you want, like if you have, let's say you have your registration page and there's a couple of bullet points on what you're going to cover, you can use those bullet points to guide your emails. That's often what I do when I'm sitting down to write that sequence is like, make sure I sort of cover and hint at all the different things I'm going to be talking about. So use that as a framework for your webinar invitation emails. And I like to send at least five which is a lot. A lot of people will think like, well, I'll send one or two and then I'll send all these promo emails. Well, so what? They're much more likely to buy if they engage in your pre-launch content. So that's your pre-launch. Now you're, the card is open and you're promoting your thing. And the first couple of days, like that's the hard sell. And you really focus on like, I go pretty, pretty deep into like the value load of everything that's in the program. And like, I'm kind of talking about a little bit more about features at the beginning. It's more informational, I would say. Of course, like I'm giving them some special reason to buy. So there should be like a fast action bonus or like some reason to get them to buy right at the beginning rather than to wait another seven days. At the beginning, you never mention how long it's open for. You're just giving people a reason to procrastinate. If you want, you can say, I only open this program twice a year, but don't, do not tell them how long it's going to be open because then they're just going to say like, well, I'll talk to my husband tonight. Forget about it. They should have a reason to buy at every stage. But so let's say we're, we're past the hard sell, like beginning it's open, go get it. Like be the action taker who really like, those are the action takers who like are fast decision makers. They're often the ones that get great results. So that messaging kind of works everywhere in the middle there's always like this weird lull in the middle of the launch. I always use that weird lull to tell client stories, to tell student success stories, to tell my own story. I put lots of like pictures and GIFs and make it fun. Ideally, there's some reason, again, like in the middle of the launch, maybe you announce a new payment plan. Maybe you take a payment plan away. Maybe there's a new bonus. I like the payment plan thing because it Anytime you add a bonus or take away a bonus, there's a lot of like backend automations and things that need to get set up. So it does add a big layer of complexity. A payment plan, on the other hand, is like you just take it off the sales page or add it to the sales page. So that's sort of my go-to for newer people in the middle of a launch and share those stories. And then in the end, let's, I would actually do this more toward the end, is like really start methodically going through objections. So at some point you want to have a big FAQ email, answer all the most important questions. Also like a, who is it for? Who is it not for? That works great at the end. And then at the very end, like now you are really selling decisiveness and you do have to be careful because like in the bro marketing industry, there's a lot of guilt based marketing and a lot of like if you're really serious about solving this problem, you will buy this program. Otherwise, you're not serious. Like you have to be careful about that. But you also do have to coach them toward decisiveness. Like, hey, this problem is not going away. Like the messaging that I often use is like, if you don't buy this program, that's fine. But what are you doing about it? Because 
unless you take some decisive action here, things are going to be the same a year from now. Like they do need to know too, like there's no such thing as not making a decision. You can't just pretend that you're not hearing what I'm saying. You are hearing what I'm saying. And now it's time to step up and take personal responsibility and take some action, whether it's buying this program or deciding to go in a different direction. And that's like a more, a hard close. And I think you can do that without being icky and manipulative. Like people do avoid the hard sale because they think it's manipulative. You can still be loving and coach them toward that decision, but you do have to use firm and strong language. I think one of my last emails is something around like, if not now, then when? And I do get a few replies. Well, you shouldn't say that. But I write it in a way that I would really talk like this with my clients. It's not manipulative. I'm really like, I'm trying to get you to take a decision. And that's what it's about. Yeah. So that is important for people to know. Like when you do that harder sale, you will get people that are annoyed it's normal. Like people are going to be triggered. They are going to be triggered. And when I get those types of emails, like I will always check in and I will look at it and be like, did I cross the line here? And I have crossed the line before. So I'm not saying they're always wrong. You do have to check in with yourself and your writing and your messaging. Most of the time though, like 95% of the time, they are just triggered because you are holding up a mirror and saying, hey, like, this is the issue. What are you going to do about it? I would say once I had a launch list of 15,000 people and we got like maybe three complaints, you can honestly ignore that. Honestly. So coming back to the daily emails or multiple emails a day in a launch, it's still scary for a lot of people. I've gotten over that hurdle myself and I know it works for us. I can see the data. But why? Why do we need so many emails? Okay. Well, one thing you need to know is that people are not reading all of your emails. There are very few people, like an infinitesimal percentage of people that are actually reading every single email in your launch. So your emails, like they are going to appeal to different people. Like some people, they just want an email that's like really short and to the point and just like take me straight there. So some of your emails can appeal to that type of person. Others, they want to be entertained. So they need some emails with like a funny GIF or a story that makes them laugh. Other people, they are like, they're very emotional. They want to go like deep into the heart of the issue. And they need you to like tell these bleeding heart stories and like treat your inbox like a confessional. Like you want some emails for them. And then there's other people who like, they just want the details. So they need like a long FAQ email. The person who just wants to like click through and buy and they don't care about the messaging. They're just like, I'm already sold. Just give me the link. Like they don't need that FAQ. So it's important to know there are all sorts of different people on your email list. You don't know, like some emails are going to hit home with a certain type of person. Other emails are going to hit home with a different type of person. So we do need to like, keep sending those emails daily. Also, that's like part of the container of the launch. If you send one email and then they don't hear from you for three days, 
they don't really, oh, like, is this still open? Oh yeah, this thing is going on. So even the act of like you showing up in their inbox a bunch of times in a single week, like they know something's happening and their curiosity at some point, like they are going to look at one of those emails. So like I could go on all day about why to send more emails until you do it. You may not fully like receive this advice, but it is important to know like more emails equals more money. So just try it and see what happens. Yeah. I think you have to do it to get it. Until then, it's like, yeah, that's what some people do, but not me and things like that. But yeah, once you've done it, there's no way going back. I'm, I'm probably even increasing the number of emails every time I launch because every email has a certain point. Like you said, there is this one goal in that email and I'm not trying to hit too many ideal clients or too many goals. It's just one thing. Like you said, the FAQ for the detail-oriented person and there's one story and I don't tell stories of three clients in one email so I would rather do three emails exactly yeah exactly and also like there's all these things going on in your promotion right you have new bonuses you have bonuses going away you have a payment plan like if you can't think of 13 different reasons to email them during a launch we actually maybe you got to go back and look at your launch strategy because you might need to add some things in like you will find, especially as your launches develop and you add these new layers of complexity, like you're going to have unlimited reasons to email your list. So actually, like, yeah, I run out of slots in my Excel sheet. It's like, where do we put this? That's exactly it. Once you really get it, uh, you don't find enough slots or enough uh, spaces for your emails. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> What are other fears that you have have heard that people have around email? I, you know, it's the unsubscribe, it's the open rate, and then the number of emails. Are there any other things or metrics to look at? Well, like a common and obvious one is I'm not good at writing. Like I'm not good at this. One of the reasons why I stopped doing copywriting and moved to a more more of like a coaching model is that I found the people who came to me like they were just uncomfortable writing and they didn't want to do it and they would be willing to pay any amount of money for someone else to do it but actually they were not ready like you can't outsource your own voice once you've figured it out well then some brilliant copywriter can come along and I, like I have a voice guide in my business. So when I bring a copywriter on, I, they just look at the voice guide and they can, if they're a good copywriter, they can write as Tarzan. The reason someone could create that voice guide for me is because I developed my own voice. Like in the early days of my business, it also would happen to me that a client would come and they'd be like, I've worked with all these copywriters. They don't get me. Like, well, the common denominator is you. So probably you don't get you. So learning to write and developing your voice, like you just can't skip that step. It's like riding a bike. Like you're, you fortunately, like, you know, if you went to school as a kid, maybe you went to university, like we do a lot of writing. So you're probably way better than you think you are. It's just a muscle that you have to flex. And the only way to develop that muscle is to keep flexing it. So if you think you're not good at writing, like, you're probably better than you think you are, but the only way to get better at it is just to keep writing. You can't skip this step in your business. You just can't. I felt when I tried to have other people do it for me, I was also missing something in my business. Like there was this 
maybe even a connection to my subscribers. Like, I think there's a lot of things you can delegate. And yes, I have hired copywriters for sales pages and stuff. But those regular newsletters, I feel, it still has to be your voice. And unless you have a super good team member that can, you know, kind of step into those shoes, I think that's something that most people actually take back. Once they've outsourced it, they tend to take it back because it's such a crucial part of the business. Totally. It's like outsourcing yourself. When you're a personal brand, yeah. you can't. You can't. You can't. They're not going to take a picture of someone else, do they? Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, Tarsan, thank you so much. Is there any, any last advice on someone who's like still, oh no, okay, I'm going to start writing. Uh, how do they know if they're doing a good job? Uh, you will know because your people will tell you. Your audience will tell you. And if you just have a small audience, uh, you can start by asking them questions and starting conversations. At the end of your story, you can just say, hey, what do you think about this? Hit reply if you've been in a similar scenario. This is also one of the best ways to get to know your audience, what they like and what they don't like and what sort of messaging really resonates with them. Honestly, the best advice I can give is just show up and just keep showing up. Well, thank you for showing up, Tarsan, because that's what you are good at and have been doing here today, too. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Yes. So I do have a, um, for your listeners, if they would like to get a promo email swipe, I have a, it's like 12 or 13 promo emails, which they will find at tarzank.com slash Seagrin. Writing promo emails is a heck of a lot easier when you have a template or like something to look at. Another thing that really does hold people back is just like a blank page and a blinking cursor. This will solve that problem for you and it will also help you understand like the arc of a promotion. So tarzank.com slash Seagrin. I'm going to go set that up right now. Perfect. Thank you so much, Tarzan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Go to Seagrin.com forward slash 333 to find links to Tarzan K and the show notes of this episode. There you also find the Plan Your Profit Success Guide for free. Thank you for listening to The Sigrun Show. Did you enjoy this episode? Let me know that you listened by tagging me in your Insta story or Instagram post using my handle Sigrun.com and the hashtag Sigrun Show. See you in the next episode.